The Ohio Harness Horsemen's Association presents Top of the Stretch, a podcast that looks at harness racing in the Buckeye State. On this edition of Top of the Stretch, as we continue to talk to a number of the individuals involved in the breeding farms in the Buckeye State. This Top of the Stretch features Sugar Valley Farm and Joe McLee. Joe, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you, Roger. It's a pleasure. Uh, let's get right off on the subject. Sugar Valley Farm's been around for a number of years. Take us back to the very beginning and just how did Sugar Valley Farms develop? Well, my grandfather was a veterinarian here in Delaware, Ohio, and he purchased the land in 1968. And over the course of time, he stood a stallion or two, albeit back in the older days when it was uh, live cover and had a few of his brood mares there, but uh, was never a commercial farm at all. And uh, as uh, I was raised around the farm, albeit I was a city boy, but spent a lot of time outside on the farm, uh, got to know a lot about the breeding side of things and uh, never really, I tried to be a driver and a trainer, but never really got real enthused about the part of having to travel and this and that. I always wanted to have a family. So grandpa had the farm and over the course of time, I did a few different things and ended up uh, starting the farm as a commercial farm in 2012. And uh, we kind of took off from there. Uh, It came about from a lot of good support from really good friends, such as uh, George Teague and, David Heffering, <clears throat> I was able to acquire a couple of stallions uh, through that and uh, kind of exploded from there. So theoretically, uh, Sugar Valley Farm is new on the scene in uh, the state of Ohio, along with uh, some other breeders, but uh, it is one of the bigger farms uh, here in the state of Ohio. Uh, the so- farm size itself, have you added additional acreage over the years? Uh, no, we, we haven't. Uh, actually, my grandfather did, well, yeah, my grandfather did acquire uh, an additional 50-some acres across the street from the main farm, which we really don't utilize that much. We have a couple of pastures over there. But uh, the main farm uh, where the house and the office are is uh, right around 157 acres. Now, as far as the breeding operation, what do you consider the breeding season to be? Uh, the breeding season, actually, when we're doing the physical work of it, is uh, I consider it basically from Valentine's Day to the 4th of July. <clears throat> and those dates are established, uh, I guess, uh you want to get an early start with the barren mares and uh, get them uh, to be bred. Uh, you other also don't don't horsemen prefer a foal to be uh, foaled at a certain time of the year. Well, it just depends on what their flavor is and what actually the individual looks like itself. A lot of people frown upon June foals that are at auction. They seem to not sell as well. But uh, just because people think they're a little bit behind, but uh, if they're if they're the right individual, I think people overlook that. There's been a lot of good horses that were born in early to mid June, late May, so that's not really a problem. But the reason the dates are for the uh, 
the time for breeding is uh, the horses have about an 11 month and 10 day gestation period. So if you start breeding in the middle of February when we start around Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving uh, Valentine's Day, uh, that'll allow a horse to be able to have their foal after June or January 1st. Because if a foal is actually born on December 31st, uh, their birth date is that they're, they're actually become a yearling uh, the next day, uh, just by the way how everything works because of when they what year they were born in. So we tend to try and keep things between February 14th and 4th of July. Uh, a lot of people that breed towards the end of June to the beginning of July are people that uh, – had some problems with their mares, late foals, or uh, they just didn't cycle correctly, and they're still taking a chance. And generally, those are people that are not commercial breeders. Uh, they're more so people that breed to uh, keep the foal and train it themselves. I understand at the Sugar Valley Farm, you have five stallions this season. Uh, you'll have four on the pacing side and one on the trot side. And that new trotting stallion is a new one to Sugar Valley Farm. Yes, Marseille, uh, with my uh, continued uh, work working together with Diamond Creek hand-in-hand hand on uh, their Ohio stallions that they stand, it's been a great relationship. And uh, this year we were able to uh, acquire a horse by the name of Marseille. <clears throat> He's a very, very good-looking uh, muscle hill stallion that uh, comes from the uh, his his mother's a three-quarter sister to uh, Cash Hall uh, which makes for excellent pedigree and one nice thing about Marseille is he's shown speed you know he's a record of 51 uh, and he was able to uh, beat Greenshoe in the Beale uh, Memorial there at uh, Earl Beale Memorial at uh, Pocono his three-year-old season and uh he was a very solid performer all the way through, and one nice thing about bringing Marseille is, is he's another grandson or another grand-looking son of Muscle Hill to come to the state that offers also uh, such a very popular uh, and current pedigree through uh, Cash Hall and things of that nature, Dan and his family. It just makes it very exciting. And, and we, we brought him in at a good price of $3,000 for uh, his stud fee, which makes it even more appealing, and uh, we just want to be able to get as many babies on the ground as we can because we got a lot of faith in him. And one nice thing is, muscle on the Muscle Hill side of things is uh, he is a very uh, good uh, uh, breeder, and his uh, semen is of high quality. So that is another plus being a son of Muscle Hill. On the pacing side, we have four stallions and one that's been with you for quite some time and is still at the top of his game is well said. You know, it's hard to hard to say anything bad about well said. You know, uh, a lot of people had a lot of high expectations for him, being one of the last great sons of Western Hanover. Uh, well, not really the last great son of Western Hanover, but uh, there were some others as well. But he was like the heir apparent to his father there at Hanover. Well, he he did a pretty good job and uh, stood at a high stud feet. But, you know, when you have expectations like that, they're hard to uh, uh, achieve. And 
I think that he was he's always been a very well solid performer uh, in the stallion ranks. He's ranked continuously in the top five, the top ten for two and three year olds, and now on the age side of things. Last year, you know, was his first crop in Ohio, and we we stand him at a very reasonable price at five thousand dollars, and uh, he basically was the top two year old pacing stallion in Ohio last year, and just his first chance to be here in the state. And uh, probably, well, he had a triple crown winner with uh, his pacing filly at the uh, uh, this year and Summer Touch, which uh, was also set a world record at Northfield. So his first crop in Ohio, he, he, uh, he has a world champion. It's kind of neat. Okay. Uh, lather up. Another one. Uh, you're going to have at uh, Sugar Valley Farm, a uh, pretty good Ohio performer as well on the racetrack. Yes, he was Ohio Pacing Horse of the Year as a three-year-old after winning the North America Cup and a lot of other different things. Um, he was extremely fast, one of the fastest horses, quick step that I've ever seen, and then also he proved it on the track as a four-year-old when he became the co-fastest horse in the history of harness racing, and he did that as a four-year-old compared to always be Mickey doing it as a five-year-old. So uh, he is the fastest four-year-old ever in the history of the sport and co-fastest of all time. And uh, his pedigree, you know, some people scratch their heads, but I did stand his his father, I'm Gorgeous, who was also a heat winner and finished second for Jug, uh, got beat by rock and roll heaven that day. But uh, uh, he's, his father's a son of Better's Delight, which Better's Delight is one of the greatest, but probably as of right now, the greatest pacing stallion of all time. And uh, on his mother's side, Lather Up has a very, very strong maternal line that just never really got the shot of being outside of the state of Delaware. And uh, she had numerous Delaware state champions. Uh, another millionaire in the family as well, and just solid performers out of like 14 or 15 foals, and not a one of them really uh, were that bad. So he's he's got a lot of potential, you know. There's going to be people that shake their heads on the whole I'm gorgeous thing, but I don't think that's a factor at all um, because I'm gorgeous was a solid performer in the stallion ranks as well for the limited amount of mares that he uh, received. But uh, we're very excited about him, and what a great-looking individual that he is as well. Down by the and last and last and last year he bred almost a full book of mares of 127 during this pandemic year. So that's not a bad uh, it's not a bad deal at all. So we're pretty excited. Down by the seaside, uh, world champion at two at Delaware, Ohio. And what a year he had with his foals at the sales uh, this year. Oh, you know, being a son of Sunbeach somewhere out of an all-American native mare, you can breed him to about anything. And the response that we had after him becoming pacer of the year's uh, three-year-old season and, uh, and the Dan Patch Awards. But uh, he's a grand-looking individual, very well. Uh, put together and also just the anticipation level of a horse like him and the way his foals looked really made it even more of a blessing. Um, he stamps them very well. And he's one of the most exciting things to come to the state, you know, besides 
there's been a lot of other ones that come in, but down by the seaside and land are up both with their credentials. Uh, it's pretty exciting, but the way that uh, down by the seaside individuals look, uh, there's not much more you can say about him as a sire, and all he has to do is now he's got to perform on the racetrack as offspring do, and if that happens, then I think we might have something special on our hands, which I do, do believe wholeheartedly that we do. And his offspring landed in the right hands of some of the best trainers, and um, I've heard great reports so far. So it's always promising when you hear things like that. And his book uh, this year, again, so it'll be his fourth year in a row, uh, where his book's full and closed, and the type of mares and the amount of mares that we had to pick from this year is uh, pretty very pretty pretty good book and uh also the people that are uh that had submitted their mares you know they they really place the right ones at the right time and know what they want to breed and it's pretty exciting it's nice to have a horse like that in your stallion barn and the relationship i have working with diamond creek farms with this stallion it's been uh been a great experience and hopefully we'll be able to continue it as time goes on and be able to reap, reap the rewards now, you've got a new stallion this year, and I'll tell you, I made the statement the other day that Catch the Fire is probably in the top ten of all the three-year-old pacers and all the harness racing this year, and maybe just be in the top five as well, because after Tall Dark Stranger and Pappy Rob Hanover, uh, who kind of dominated the, the class early in the year and Tall Dark Stranger throughout the year, Catch the Fire has gone to every dance and been utmost competitive horse uh, on those Grand Circuit events. And I'm sure you're happy to get Catch the Fire at Sugar Valley Farm as well. You know, it was I, I actually thought that he would go back and race as a four-year-old and wouldn't even be considered to stand instead. But when Charles Taylor of CT Stables uh, called me personally and asked if we could uh, do something with the horse, I was pretty excited at the time um and then as we talked further on down the road uh with the possibility of racing him uh again as a four-year-old and having him in the stud barn as well uh it got even more exciting and uh with with your statement of him top five top ten i think there's no argument on either one one thing i would say is i think there's a uh, just because of the type of wind the horse had puts him up there in the top five with the adios and the heat of the jug and and things of that nature. But him as a two-year-old winning the Kentucky Sire Stakes Championship at Lexington in 49 and a piece, he's, you know, has a record of 49 as a two-year-old, 49 as a three-year-old, and he has uh, he has uh, wins on every size track, half, five-eighths, mile, and seven-eighths, all faster than 150, uh, as well to, to his credit. And I think there's a lot of AEs uh, that you can put in there that have so, similar credentials, but they weren't at every dance. And he went to every dance, and he raced quite well. And uh, I think he's going to be an excellent addition, being the first son of Captain Treacherous to come to Ohio out of a better's delight mare. And uh, I think the possibilities are endless for him as well, and especially if he comes back next year. And uh, I think the trend of stallions are starting to get, look like that might happen with cattle wash doing it this year as well. 
and last year with Better's Wish and then previously with Wishing Stone and Father Patrick, and I believe there was another one that has all tried to both race and uh, breed in their four-year-old season. And, you know, when it comes to uh, that, I'm sorry to get off the catch the fire thing for right now, but with Garral's rule that he's put in place, he always wanted to have horses not breed at four and race, continue to race, and there was some problems with that because you weren't eligible to certain races if you did go to the sky and barn as after your three-year-old season. I think this might be a good way of being able to keep horses on the racetrack and still be able to breed. So I think it might be a trend that's uh, in the infancy stages right now of our sport, but I think it's something that might continue to uh, grow as time goes on. But uh, back to the catch the fire being in that position, a horse like him that didn't wear any boots, no head holes, Mike Wilder is a very good friend of mine, and he was his driver, and him explaining to me how handy of a horse he was to drive, the way that he could race him in any different type of situation and not have to worry about worrying about steering him or trying to keep him off the line or anything. He said the horse was sound the whole way through and was just a pleasure to drive. So that made it a little bit more appealing as well, just knowing a horse retiring to the stallion barn and then being able to continue the race is just a, a huge, huge statement from Mike Wilder. Is there any problems uh, with the, the breeding season and getting the horse back to the races? Can they do get into training and still uh, perform in the stallion barn? I don't see where there's going to be a problem with that. I've actually had one stallion that did that, albeit he uh, had broke down and Ron Burke called me and asked me to stand foreclosure in for him years ago. Mm. And what we did is uh, with my location of the farm, just being a mile and a half away from the famed Little Brown Jug, Delaware County Fairgrounds, what we did is we nursed foreclosure back to health and uh, also started jogging him back once we got to the round. The end of April, 1st of May, we started jogging him back once he had healed up and uh, he was able to go back to the races that year in August, early September, but that was due to injury. But uh, I think with the horse would catch a fire, um, his uh, trainer, John Ackley, and second trainer for John, been with the horse the whole entire time, Jason Moore, um, they're actually going to get four stalls, four to six stalls in Delaware and come up here, and uh, Jason's going to be with the horse the whole time, and so he'll be uh he'll get a little bit of time off here before the breeding season and maybe the first month of breeding season just have a little time off getting used to his new job and then uh, he'll go back into training and how we're going to work it is he'll uh he'll be at the farm but after we get done collecting him jason will pick him up take him to the fairgrounds jog him and then bring him back brood mares how many brood mares uh the Sugar Valley Farm own? We currently own all or a piece of we currently own all or a piece of about 15 right now. And then we board an additional yes, and then we board an additional 25 to 30. Uh, We try not to overpopulate our farm. We just try to keep it to where horses aren't stressed and and on top of each other. So we keep a good uh, round number for that. 
I'll tell you, that new addition to the broodmare ranks, Yafisi uh, Hanover, uh, got some names that uh, go right to Sugar Valley Farm, not only Yafisi uh, Hanover being sired by Well Said and out of uh, Upfront Dragonfly, who was sired by Dragon again. So you got to be mighty happy to get her on the broodmare ranks at your farm. Well, I got to give credit to. We're very excited, uh, and she's a beautiful individual. But we, I've got to give credit to my one of my partners in the horses by the name of Dr. Jason Melillo. Uh, he called me and he, he likes to use the word "dude" when we're talking. He goes, "Dude, have you been on Ongate and saw that Euphysi Hanover's on there?" I said, "No." He goes, "Well, she is," and he goes, "We're planning on buying another broodmare or two this year." He goes, "Right here's a, a chance to get one." So. We put together a plan, the amount of money we wanted to spend, and we were fortunate enough to get her at 45000 And She's had a few foals so far, and they haven't been world beaters yet, but they show, the, they show extreme speed, and uh, uh, I think she's due to have a decent one here and maybe even a top one uh, here in the future. And so we are able to acquire her in fold of Better's Delight, which made it even more appealing. Uh, so... She'll she'll have a date with down by the seaside next year after she folds out her better's delight baby, and uh, couldn't be more exciting to have a breeder's crown winner on the farm as well as uh, the daughter of two of our stallions. It's kind of neat, and uh, we're also able to acquire uh, another couple horses this year. That's been exciting. Was uh, Kalachki. She's a uh, Donato Hanover sister to Chapter Seven. And she's going to have a date with Marseille and uh, so on and so forth. The sales this year, uh, the big one is right around jug time, uh, up 17%. Did that surprise you? You know, it, it was a huge surprise to me, but not at the time. It was. It would have been a huge surprise to me if it would have been the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, let's say that things got a little lax, you know, towards the end of the summer and uh, the numbers were down. And we were fortunate enough here in the state of Ohio to be able to have a solid racing season that we were able to put together to where we could have all of our stakes for the year. And, and so with the anticipation level of uh, not only them by the Seaside's first crop, but you had uh, What the Hill, uh, which was the basically the Hamiltonian winner, in my opinion, and uh, Long Tom, also their first crops, as well as Fear the Dragon, uh, that were all here in Ohio for their first crop sales. I had the feeling that we would have a, a great sale. Now, at times I've been quoted in, uh, another interview that I did with uh, Derek Weiner of Daily Racing Forum when we were talking about it during the pandemic, and he goes, Joe, tell me how you feel about the upcoming sales. I said, well, one minute, Derek, I feel very confident. The next minute, I'm shitting my pants. And uh, that's the exact words I use, and that's exactly what he put in his article. But uh, it it was a pleasant surprise, and it just shows the perseverance of, of horsemen. Um, you know, we're a horse people are of a different breed you know we we kind of live in our own world and i have i'm sure roger you have friends outside of the sport that you've had forever and as well as i do but you try and not to talk about horses with them because 
that's our way of life. But when it, when you're hanging with a friend that's not in the horse business, they kind of like, what are you even talking about? So it's kind of like having a buddy that's an accountant. You go hang out with him, and all he wants to do is talk numbers. You know, you just uh, – our horse people are a different breed. We persevere through everything. We have great resilience. And uh, for us to have the sale we did uh, was not only a testament to the breeders being able to offer what people want, and I think that everybody did a tremendous job with what we had to offer this year. It was spread out pretty good money-wise by each stallion and each consignment. And it's just, like I said, to revert back to what I stated earlier, it's just perseverance, resilience, and the strong heart of a horseman that continues to be able to keep our heads above water and continue on as one of the best sports there is in the country. We just don't get our due. I just want to thank you for your time, Roger. It's been a very hard week. Uh, Unfortunately, we lost the matriarch of our family, my grandma, Evelyn Walters, on Tuesday. And with this whole pandemic and everything that's going on, it's just uh, it's a pleasure to be able to speak with you. But I just want everybody to continue to wear your mask, stay healthy, and just remember uh, we're going get to get through all this. And I just want to dedicate everything to my grandmother. Thank you for listening to Top of the Stretch. Top of the Stretch podcasts are a presentation of the Ohio Harness Horsemen's Association.